Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we are happy to be here all up in your ear holes as per usual. Uh, as we record, it is Easter Sunday. We hope you guys are having a nice relaxing day. Uh, whether it's egg hunting with the kids or avoiding children and drinking all day. Whichever floats your boat. That's definitely the one that floats mine. Drinking all day? Yeah, and, and avoiding children. I did that yesterday. Well, not the avoiding children. I couldn't avoid the children, so I ended up drinking all day. So I am the liquor. Uh, we ended up taking the kids up to uh, uh, Daniela's sister's house up in uh, Lakewood up here. And they had hidden a bunch of Easter eggs and, and uh, required that all the adults participate in the Easter egg hunt. Her and her sister both share this trait where they're both extraordinarily extra when it comes to holidays. Um, did somebody order a side of extraness? Mama, I'm here. It, it gets a bit involved, but uh, there was an egg hunt and uh, there was about half a bottle of rum drank within the first couple of hours, which was my fault. I apologize. Ooh. Why is rum gone? But So uh, that egg hunt was uh, was cracking up, huh? I fucking tripped down a hill. And it was one of those, you know how they talk about, stand-up comedians talk about the slow motion fall that seems to take yes. four fucking ever? I don't know if it was the alcohol or if it was just the way the fall happened, but I started to trip on a, on a vine or a branch or whatever, and I started going down, and in the meantime, my head's sick, uh, cycling going, oh shit, here I go, I'm going down, well, I'm falling. And, and just like, it took forever for me to finally hit the ground. And I, I couldn't even be pissed about it. I mean, I wasn't happy, but I, I got to the ground and I'm like, fuck, that took like 80 minutes. What the hell just happened? Yeah, every time yeah. I fall, it's like that. Because I'm six feet five in the goddamn air. So <laughs> if I slip on some ice or something, or if it's spring and there's a little bit of mud and it grabs one of my boots or something and I go to go down... I have a whole thought process. They say your life flashes in front of your eyes, and it really does. It does. It takes like half a goddamn hour. You're flailing. You're spinning. <laughs> you can feel gravity pulling on you, and you're trying to save yourself. You know you're not going to. So you go through all like five or six <laughs> stages of grief as you're like plummeting towards the earth. And and by the time you hit the ground, you've already reached acceptance, and, and that's kind of all there is to it. But it does. It takes forever. Everything kind of goes into slow-mo. And you just, all you can think of is, God damn it, this is going to really hurt when I finally hit the ground. And it does. And you were right. Whatever, you know? <laughs> this might as well happen. But yeah, so I spent the, uh, the whole day yesterday day drinking and hunting for Easter eggs and playing silly party games and... Didn't really have much time at home yesterday, but all day today has been pretty uh, relaxing, except for setting up a computer for the kid, and my house is my house again. My mother-in-law has has vacated for at least a while. So that's good. And, and she listen, does she? She's, she's not a listener. I don't think so. <laughs> but on top of that, I just found out about an hour ago, that another one of my grandnephews was born today. And my uh, niece, uh, Marissa, has given birth to a brand new baby boy. So I am a, a grand-uncle, I think is what you call it, a grand-uncle, uh, times two. Emerson Dean. 
Emerson, Emerson Dean. Well, at least Emerson at least she Dean had the good Duncan. sense to give him like a uh, a real name. Those are real names, you know. Oh no, I, 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 I get I'm really. Married. It would be Emerson I get irritated Dean Hill. Whenever I see a, uh, you know, there, there are whole groups on Facebook uh, that are just dedicated to like really shitty baby names, and there are plenty <laughs> of them out there. So Emerson Dean, uh, good on you for giving your kid a normal human actual name that people are going to pr- pronounce properly when they read it, and the teachers aren't going to stumble over, and that doesn't have all kinds of extra letters in it, and that's an actual name. So kudos to you. I I agree. Uh, it, it's it's fairly easy to pronounce. Your bro- uh, his brother, I guess, his older brother now uh, is named Hunter, so that's an easy one to remember too. And so Hunter and Emerson, my little grand nephews. So I'm pretty excited about that. Bravo. So how are you today, Jim? Well, I'm, I I hate to default back to my usual uh, griping about <laughs> talking about the weather. Uh, which I know is a problem, but uh, ordinarily I wouldn't. But it is spring here, and it has been spring for almost a month. And there is snow in the forecast tomorrow, so that's a giant pain in my ass. It should hopefully be the last one for a while, because that's the way the weather goes around here. We get snow, and then uh, that's uh, Monday. By Thursday, it's supposed to be 80 degrees. So it won't hang around very long, but um, we, we will get it. Just the long the challenge that I've been having... Yeah, apart from the weather, I'm not going to dwell on the weather. That is my usual go-to whenever anybody asks me how I am because, you know, I'm so uncomfortable talking about my internal monologue and all the things that are going on inside of me. I tend to externalize things. How are you? Well, the weather's good. Um, <laughs> but there is some other shit going on. I, I'm i sort of having an issue, and I wanted to pick your brain about this because I know that you're probably in the same boat about it. Sure, but what do you got? Th- the last couple of weeks have been, like, maybe since mid-February, and we're getting close to the end of April now, so almost like a month and a half, two and a half months. Um, I've, I've been sort of, like, going around in circles trying to remember the best ways to book a band. Um, I haven't been in a band that I have had any any hand in booking for, like, 18 years. Like, I, my last band I, I in Milwaukee that I was uh, in, I left in 2004 to start moving around the country and start doing all kinds of crazy things with traveling and working and and all that. So I haven't been in this local music scene here in almost 20 years. And of course, things change very quickly. Um, You know, the internet was definitely a thing, but it wasn't as prevalent, and you could still get a lot of mileage out of, like, actually ducking into venues and talking to people and pressing some flesh and doing a little smoozing. Um, But this time out, I mean, it's it's really tough because nobody wants to talk to you in person, Um, and and everybody has a contact email or a form on their website for, for bands to fill out. But um, we, we played at this great place that a friend of our drummer knows. Um, our first gig in February was this, this place called Mad Scientist in Waukesha, and I didn't pronounce that incorrectly. It's Scientist because it's a theme bar. Uh, they have mm-hmm. drinks um, like the 1.21 Ginawatts, and they have like uh, you know all these fun uh, science and sci-fi themed drinks, and their, uh, their logo is a, uh, your typical Mad Scientist with the crazy Einstein hair and a lab coat holding up be- a beaker full of booze. That's clever. It's pretty cool. Uh, and the guy that runs that place is great. So no harm, no foul. We got a great place to play, except uh, like most other places that are having to deal with price hikes and shit, uh, his landlord is, is hiking his rent to an astronomical degree, the guy who owns the club. So he's going to be shutting down probably in June or July oh, is when no. his lease is up. So we have one more gig scheduled there and I think early June, and we may be one of the last bands to play at that venue. He's looking to open up another establishment somewhere across town. But uh, that's going to be a little while, and uh, he will have us back when he does that. But in the meantime, we're sort of like scrambling for gigs. And what I did was I, 
we have a spreadsheet, which is very rock and roll, that all of us have access to on Google Docs. And we have uh, the spreadsheet set up with the name of these venues, who the contact person is, who, which one of us has contacted them, uh, the last date we contacted them on, and what, if any, response we got. And we are up to, I want to say, somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 different venues contacted. And that's me taking like a mental compass, putting the pin in Milwaukee and drawing a two-hour circle around it. So I'm looking as far as like Green Bay and the Fox Valley up by Appleton and Fond du Lac, as far west as maybe half an hour outside of Madison to the west, and south across the border into Illinois, sort of like northern and northwestern Chicago suburbs. So... Uh, b between the five of us, among the five of us, we've contacted 130 places, and I've probably, at the risk of like patting myself on the back, I got super proactive about it and got a real fire under my ass for a couple of weeks, and of those 130 venues, I've probably contacted 100 of them. Um, I I've just got a real burn to get a gig. And of those 130 venues I've contacted, I'm going to give you a guess as to how many got back to us, and of those, how many gigs we actually managed to book. Have you made a guess? Holy shit, I've made Yeah, two, just go three, ahead and ballpark it for me. Two or um, three? We heard back from about seven or eight of them and managed to book one. Oh. Jeez. One. And, of course, you know, it's kind of a war of attrition a lot of the time with this shit. You kind of have to keep after people. Uh, you have to put in phone... You, you, you initially contact through a website or a web form and uh, or an email, and then you... Uh, sort of follow up with phone calls if you don't hear anything back and then if things get really dicey you kind of actually have to take a couple of days or a week or however much time you have and like actually go around and try and pin people down but uh you know it's it's been a weird process because um the first thing that i did was i started looking at other bands that played the place that we've played called mad scientist i looked at their show schedule and there's about 15 or 20 other bands that are either upcoming or that have recently played there that I can find on their events calendar and their Facebook page. So then I go to all their websites and find all the places that they play. And then I look at all the bands that are playing those places in addition to those original bands that played the same place we played. And then it winds up being this sort of like open one door and there's five other doors on the other side of it that you can sort of like right. mine for information. And then, you know, once you look at a, a venue or a band that has played at the same place you've played has also played, then you look at their show schedule and it just becomes a snowball in several different directions that you can follow up on. And so I have contacted... Every venue that any band in Milwaukee that's even close to what we do, which is either 90s music or cover music or even like in the general umbrella ballpark of rock music, and I've been trying to contact all of those places, and uh, it's just tough. I mean, it's really tough because sometimes I they get back you. to you, sometimes they don't, uh, and, and some of them, the only way to reach out to them is through a Facebook message, so I do that, and I've probably contacted about 25 or 30 of them through Facebook messages, and of course if you do that, you can see when they read your messages, you can see when they reply, and of the 30 or so that I contacted on Facebook, two of them responded with an auto-response that you can set up on Facebook, and the other 25 to 28 haven't even looked at the message yet. So yeah. it's just becoming kind of one of those things where I'm looking at this thinking, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a law of averages. If you contact a certain amount of venues, you're going to be able to hear back from a certain amount, and then the, a smaller number even of that subset is what you're actually going to be able to book. So it kind of just becomes a, um, a real challenge, a real uphill climb to try and just reach out to these places and, and get your band. We are a new band, but uh, we, we also are made up of people who've been in bands that have done really well locally previously. So I can put that in the cold email that I send people, hey, this is who we are, but we're made up of veterans of these other local acts that I know have played at your establishment previously. So that's the kind of quality musicianship we're bringing to the table. So you need to uh, to get us in your door, and we'll we'll bring some people and play some music. 
But it's just been such... It's like pulling fucking teeth. It really is. There's oh, just no way to get these people to, to, to respond to you outside of, like, just walking in the door with your, you know, big human body and asking to talk to the person who books the bands, and, and they're not going to be there, and then you ask when they're going to be there, and then you come back when they're supposedly going to be there, and you just missed them or they didn't come in today, and... Yeah. So my, my my challenge to you right now is to uh, to you you've booked a band more recently than I have because another sentiment has been uh, doing stuff with, uh, with with local venues in your area for longer than my band has. So uh, at the risk of like cluttering up the podcast with shit that's not going to matter to anybody else, but we talk about music <laughs> too. Uh, what are, what are what, just a, a quick and dirty two or three different tips you can toss at me and maybe anybody else who's listening that's also trying to book entertainment uh, of what I might be doing wrong or what I could be doing differently. Shit, I wish I could. Uh, a lot of the times, uh, I'm not the one that books the shows for this band. I booked a lot of the shows for uh, 46 and 2, the tribute to Tool that I was in. Um, and so a lot of, the, I mean, I've, I've run across the same kind of obstacles that you're running across. And Yeah. And really, all it really is is knowing promoters. Because as far uh. as, I know, and, and they're notoriously one of the most flaky types of people you can run across. Oh, but, yeah, they uh, are. Uh, promote going through promoters uh, locally is kind of how we book shows because it's like once you get to know a promoter uh, let's say Joe Blow is a promoter up here uh, we get to know Joe Blow Joe Blow's like all right well I got a show here at this club here and uh, you play that show for him and then he's like oh okay well that was a good show I got another show for you here and then we just kind of work the gigs that they uh, put out for us I mean I, there's really no secret to it. It's it's it is like you say a law of averages, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of what you said and the problems that you're running into trying to book Rust Bucket is the same kind of issues that we run across uh, with the podcast trying to book guests. Is we yes. send out a lot of cold emails, we send a lot of Facebook messages out, we don't really get a whole lot of return of investment on those, um, and, and by that I mean if it's a, like a name celebrity, it's usually not going to happen. Um, I mean, we've had pretty good luck. I've gotten like Shiloh Prychek off of a cold email and, and things like that. But, uh, by and large, unless it's someone who's familiar with the podcast, like a friend or whatever, uh, or like someone, you know, like John Champion, uh, it's, it's really notoriously difficult to get, uh, these bookings done. I mean, a lot of the popular guests that I've had on Shiloh Prychek or, uh, uh, we, when we had Death Wish Coffee on. Yeah, um, Warren Davis. Uh, yeah, Warren Davis came through Shiloh. Uh, BJ Shea and Taryn from KISW. I've known them for years, uh, but that's through Facebook and everything like that. I mean, mm -hmm. so it's really, it really is a matter, and I hate to say it, but it is who you know, unfortunately. Yeah. And in, in a musician's response, it's going to be uh, which promoters you know, which promoters you've worked with, and how you can... Uh, capitalize on that relationship with these promoters with another sentiment uh we've been riding kind of on the coattails of other bands we've played with uh so we've played with the band uh for instance massacre at the opera we've played with them a time or two and so we were able to contact them and find out if they were looking for any uh supporting acts or where they were playing or things like that and uh our, our, the guy who produced our album uh, is in a band called deathbreaker uh, Kevin, he's a cool guy, and uh, Kevin's usually are. Eh, not always. We're no, we're a notorious fickle bunch, um, but uh, he was able to get us into a, in touch with a couple of people who got us a couple of shows, and so again, it's just a matter of who you know, unfortunately. So 
There's no yeah, that's kind of the magic thing. spell. There's no recipe for it. There's also a thing up here that I've noticed that my guys and I talked about after we loaded out from our rehearsal the other night, standing in the, the cul-de-sac outside of our uh, drummer's place, where we rehearse, and uh, there are entertainment booking companies up here. And mm-hmm. they, bands affiliate with these entertainment booking companies, and it becomes kind of a double-edged sword, because you will get gigs, but a lot of the time, these places make you sign contracts where you can only book gigs. Yeah, well, they take a percentage, which, you know, that's to be understood, I guess. They'll take like 10, 15% of whatever you take for the gig, whatever they can negotiate for your, your, your take. And I don't mind that. Like, I don't, I'm not doing this for the fucking money. I like to play. Money is nice, you, you know, and obviously it's, you can, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I've never really done music for the money, and I don't intend to start in my 40s. But what they do is uh, a lot of the places, because we know, and I, this is true, I know people who are with entertainment booking companies up here, you sign with this entertainment booking company, and only they're allowed to book you. You can no longer book yourself. Um, so if you get offered a gig at a place that this entertainment company that, that books you doesn't have a relationship with, you're not allowed to play the show. Um, and if you are, then you, you have to cough up a much larger... If You can you can play it, but you, you, you owe your entertainment company a certain amount of money for booking outside of their circle. So you'll get gigs, but you'll play the same five or six places on a rotating schedule. And uh, if they have a built-in audience, great. Um, but it definitely cuts into your ability to have a stable of places that you play that you book yourself. So for now, we're doing it the independent or we're going it alone um, just because it's not really in our best interest for what we're doing and what we want to do and where we want to play to sign with an entertainment company that's going to take a chunk of our money and then limit us to the places we can play and say that we can't book ourselves. And it's it's just really tough. It's tough, but... Um, we do have two more gigs on the books. Like I said, there's the one at the place in Waukesha called Mad Scientist. We've played before, but that place is unfortunately not going to be around for much longer. And then we have one other show that our bass player managed to uh, to book for us, and I'll do you know credit to Chris for that, for lining that up, and that's coming up next month. But uh, it's just tough looking at a summer, which is usually around here especially because the winters are so cold, the time when people are apt to go out and do things. And we're looking at, well, we've only really got two gigs on the books, and, and we're trying mm-hmm. to... Uh, to line up some more stuff uh, so that we can play over the summer and just kind of get out and, and ply our trade. Because we've been rehearsing since last summer. I think I hooked up with this band around August, uh, late July, early August. And, you know, we spent six, eight months rehearsing, and now we're starting to uh, to really be got about four hours of material we can play, and we sound pretty good, so we're getting out there. Um, but it's just, you know, trying to trying to book these gigs is, is damn near impossible. Yeah, another sentiment's kind of in a lull with that shit too, and uh, it's really hard to get a gig right now. But uh, what we've been focusing on uh, in this lull is we're we're writing new stuff and and putting together yeah. uh, new music. So uh, we'll, we'll see what that turns into. Maybe well, come I'm sure out it doesn't help either. The album will come out. Uh, well, fingers crossed on that. I love your shit, you know. But uh, it's it's tough because I mean, in addition to 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 just dealing with flaky people who are bookers. You also have to deal with the fact that a lot of live venues closed during COVID and yeah. a lot of other ones because they couldn't book live music. They just kind of like stopped doing it um, because they were trying to stay afloat and they were trying to get by on their drinks and their, their food if they have food. And they just stopped booking the entertainment because they couldn't. And then they just really never got back to it. So the number of places, even the, uh, drawing a two-hour circle of radius around Milwaukee uh, to only have 130 places to play in, in an area that's usually been traditionally saturated with performance venues is, is uh, it's tough. It's tough, but uh, that's just my road to hoe, and I guess I'll get through it. But I appreciate the insight, and oh, it's something yeah. I'll definitely take in, into consideration going forward because, yeah, I mean, you know the challenge. I do. 
and and it is indeed challenging but there's not a whole lot you can really do about it but suffer through it unfortunately regrettably until you build up a head uh, of steam and you get a reputation for being a good band that plays out and draws people and then suddenly they're talking to you but it's in the meantime it it, it really is kind of uh, uphill through the snow both ways yeah but uh i mean that as be that as it may uh, other than that you you been doing good or yeah, doing pretty good. Um, you know, uh, the the band is going well. Um, and my lady is still here on an extended visit, and unfortunately, that's not going to be a forever thing for now. But we're we're working on making it a forever thing pretty shortly. Um, but there is going to be a little bit of a period of time where we're going to have to spend some time on opposite ends of the country, so we can figure out the details on whatever else is going to happen with that. But you know, for now, uh, things are great. We've been getting out since the weather's been a little nicer and socializing with some friends and just going to some places and doing some things and. And it's been uh, it's been really fun and and this time of year always uh, at the risk of again like descending into talking about weather patterns because they are so tied to my mood like we talked about in the mental health episode uh, you know my 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 overall demeanor uh, is unfortunately tied very closely to what it's doing outside and yeah. if it's nice outside then it's pretty nice inside too yeah I get that and uh, uh, I. <laughs> I wanted to remind, uh, tell you about this. I don't know. I, I talked to you about the game Shadowgate, didn't I? Did you ever play that on the yeah. old NES? Uh, I never played it on the NES, and you did say that it might be on my um, my emulator system that I have, and I, I, I did a quick search and didn't see it, but the menu's not really all that user-friendly as far as navigation, yeah. so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm planning on taking some more time to spelunk even further into it and dig it up. But uh, no, it's not one that I actually got to back when it came out originally. It was a, it was a point and click game that I want to say was released on like I don't think it was the maybe it was the Commodore it was, it was originally like a black and white grayscale game on a like a Commodore or something like that and then it got an NES port and and basically it's a a point and click game so you've got a menu down below and sure. and you move through each room looking for clues and and everything like that so very much very Baldur's Gate very. Uh, or not Baldur's Gate excuse me the the old D and D games the Eye of the Beholder yeah. and things like that. Uh, room by room and search and, and things like that. But uh, I recently discovered uh, through one of these retro gaming groups that I'm involved with on, on Facebook that they released a uh, a digital version of an updated version of the game. And I want to say it went through Kickstarter and everything, but I didn't catch that on Kickstarter. And it was it was flew beneath my radar. But uh, through this group... Uh, Limited Run Games has come out with a physical copy of it. Limited Run, of course, being a company that makes physical releases out of digital-only games. Uh, They're harder to find. They tend to skyrocket in value after a time. But uh, through this group, I was able to snag a physical copy of the new and updated version of Shadowgate for the Nintendo Switch. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to popping that in and playing it. If anyone else has played that game or play the original uh send me an idea about what you thought of it because i always had this this soft spot in my heart for this game and i know it's one of the most singularly frustrating games in the planet no! and uh, <laughs> back back when nintendo hard meant something and yep. it's it's equal parts awesome and frustrating so i'm looking forward to seeing if this new one kind of matches that level of of uh, frustration and, and fascination. So, yeah, we uh, talked about uh, the Souls games. Uh, we, you know, a little while ago, with uh, especially with Elden Ring coming out, we we talked a little bit about how I think I'm going to give Elden Ring a pass just because 
I mean, I you and I both kind of came up in the Nintendo hard era of games with like Ghosts and Goblins <laughs> and Battletoads sure and the original, did. you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES. These were games that I put that to, in to, recently trying to play that the Ninja Turtles game. Oh, that game will kick you right in the balls and laugh at you while you're curled up in a fetal position on the ground. That game is an asshole. Uh, a lot of the games at the time were, um, you know, and so the, the, carrying into that sort of Nintendo hard idea, we've got the Souls games that are the get good games that are just going to absolutely bend you over the table if you try and play them. And I, I, I said, you know, I, I have, I have nothing left to prove. I came up in the era of the, like the aforementioned Battletoads and, and uh, TMNT games on the original NES and they kicked my ass, but I did get through them. Um, so I just, now I want to pop in a game and, and just actually enjoy myself. And that's why I actually really tend to cotton to and gravitate towards the open world slash sandbox, sort of like, you know, GTA, Saints Row, Fallout, Skyrim kind of games, the kind of go anywhere, do anything kind of games. And I'm going to be diving into uh, Horizon Forbidden West in the next couple of days, probably. Looking forward to that. Just finished Far Cry 6. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm staying away from Elden Ring for that same reason, because I just, at this point in my life, as at the age where I am as a gamer... Uh, I, I don't mind a challenge, but I don't want to get so frustrated that I chuck my Xbox Series X controller direct through my <laughs> fucking 65-inch 4K display. I don't want to do that. Um, I just want to be able to enjoy myself. And, and so, I did it uh, recently. I threw my yeah. controller once for the first time. Uh, my my kid sister had come down, and I say kid sister. She's she's like 25 now, and that just makes me feel old as piss. Woohoo! Who's laughing now? <laughs> it, shut up! <laughs> uh, but she came over. A lot of over. things do me these days, yeah. Oh my god! And we were playing uh, Halo, and I'm getting my ass just kicked, left, right, up, and down, and sideways. So she takes off and goes back home, and I put I put Halo on, and I play with my kids. And my son, who I don't know why I didn't think the fact that he would be good at Halo, he's played the other ones in his room. That's the force of will that he has because I gave him the xboxes i've given him the playstations i've been that kind of father so uh, i gave him all of these opportunities and so i don't know why i didn't expect him to be good at it but he picked up the control and just whooped the shit out of me <laughs> and i mean i really got to feeling kind of a little shitty and bad about myself and uh he starts gloating a little bit during one of the matches and then my daughter's little trash there. talk to the old man my daughter's sitting there talking shit all of a sudden too and then all of a sudden it's like you know what fuck this and i threw the controller across the <laughs> living fuck 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 oh fuck and this is my uh two hundred dollar you know what, what do you call those uh, the elite pro 2 controller for the xbox mm -hmm. So it was uh, expensive, and I shouldn't be throwing things like that, but uh, I did, and I regretted it, and I kind of had to take a step back and woo-saw myself a little bit. And You want to talk about old. You said you were playing Halo with your kid. I remember playing Halo. We used to have LAN parties uh, mm -hmm. in my friend Ryan's basement, and everybody would bring their own goddamn TV, and I had this 19-inch flat screen, and it wasn't a, 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 an HD TV. They just marketed it as a flat screen. It was a two-bass TV. It had a flat screen on it. Um, but they were talking like this was probably like late 90s. Well, when did the original Xbox come out? Um, oh, I want to say it was I 97. 
I don't remember. That's a, but sometimes, like, yeah, at least 20, 25 years ago. And we used to bring our own TV down to his basement, and we had a router that we'd all patch into with the uh, the Cat 5 ports in the back of the original Xbox, and we would, we'd actually have, like, a fucking straight-up LAN party in the basement. And we would play Halo head-to-head. And that was just, even though I wasn't ever very good at the... Uh, the multiplayer stuff, and I get my ass handed to me on the regular. It was still pretty fun because you got to do it with your friends. And there's just something about, yeah, okay. So maybe it wasn't late '90s, maybe it was early 2000s. Uh, but it was, yeah, the original Xbox. Uh, timelines get a little fuzzy when you get old, but yeah, we would sit there and just do the uh, the land thing. And it's it's just fun. Even if you're getting your ass handed to you, you could trash talk your friends, and once in a while you get off a good uh, a good kill, and you know you just run past somebody and chuck one of those sticky grenades onto their helmet and scream, "Hey, enjoy your hat!" and you run away, and they blow up. It's just it's a good time. Killing spree. But uh, now I, I I just tend to play the single player stuff. Uh, I don't really do a lot of online multiplayer unless it's co-op. The last online multiplayer game that I played was I had a crew that I used to do some boss raiding with on on Borderlands Two. And that was easily like 10 years ago. Uh, but I would do that then, and we had a good time with it. Um, but yeah, that's the last time that I ever played any online co-op, and that was even co-op. I, I don't do any head-to-head, any PvP at all. None of the Battle Royale stuff, no PUBG, none of that stuff, because I just, I, you know, I play games, and I love games. I'm an old-school gamer. I was just talking today on a, uh, one of the groups, the Gen X groups I belong to on Facebook, and they were saying, hey, who remembers, who here is old enough that their first game console had wood grain on it and they put up a picture of the 2600 <laughs> i'm like motherfucker i'm older than that i actually had a pong deck you had to sit crisscross applesauce on the floor because the f- fader slider style controls were built right into the console and if yeah. you wanted color on that motherfucker you had to put a cellophane applique over top of the tv screen i was there i was there three thousand years ago that's how old my ass is. So don't talk to me about this. I'm so old. I had a 2600. Get off my fucking lawn. I think I had but a Vic. I'm old. The oldest Be- one I remember is the Vic 20. We had a Vic 20. Yeah, I had a Magnavox Odyssey also. So I, I mean, I still do. Yeah, you want to talk old. So now I'm just a single player guy because I just don't even. I have a job and I have a life, and I'm not saying that you know <laughs> gamers don't have lives because I'm not going to ding my own tribe, but like. I don't have the time to do the get good thing to the point where if I jump into one of those Battle Royale games and some 12-year-old who does nothing but play Fortnite all day snipes yep. my ass from you know 15 football fields away and then comes over and teabags my corpse in the first 15 seconds, <laughs> it's not fun for me. It's no good. So I, I you know, just play the single-player stuff, and I call it a day, and I'm happy with it. I agree. And I've been, I've been delving a lot into the retro games because I've been putting these uh, uh, hacked 3DSs together, and... I actually ended up hacking uh, the two that I got from Japan. I got them this week. This lovely, lovely rose pink one. And yeah, you this, the picture uh, of that. It's gorgeous. The blue one is like, it's like super cool. Like it matches my wife's car color blue and she loves that color. And it's this nice metallic blue. Uh, the only problem is, is there's certain games on there that you put, the, you've, even if you put the uh, US version of the ROM on the, on the drive, because the thing is geared to work towards a Japanese audience, because it's a Japanese system, it yeah. defaults to Japanese language. So I'm flipping through games, and there's a couple of them that just only speak at you in Japanese. And then for some reason, uh, WarioWare came up, and it was all Japanese script. I'm like, oh, I bet that's going to be vocalized in Japanese. And it is the loudest, most aggressive shouting in Japanese at the player that I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, but you're so angry. <laughs> but 
So, no, I mean, it's not going to end up being one of my daily drivers for things like that because, I mean, I, I need to be able to play my games in English. All the Pokemon games are in Japanese, things like that. So it's really kind of uh, disappointing. But they're still kind of neat to have and, and yeah and whatnot. And, and they're region-free, so when I pop in my cartridges, I can still play them. So, um, But, yeah, other than that, everything is going apace. Now, there was this... Thing that I want to address with you, Jim. I know you've had some... We're going to talk about some news topics. We're going to talk about another topic. But I cannot go any further into this program without stating something that I think is remarkably cool. And okay. what that is, is if you go by episode count, this episode that you're listening to right now in your ear holes currently is the 100th episode fandom podcast we've made it to triple digits people and i just find that alarmingly cool yeah this is 100 and we've actually it's it's a little confusing because we've gone through some different uh numbering conventions and if you you go to the it, this I think will pop up as either episode number eight or episode number nine because that's where nine. we are in our uh, we're yeah. at nine. So this will pop up as episode number nine in the current season of the Feel Your Fandom podcast, and and uh, so I, it's just denoted as number nine for this season because some of the other conventions we've used to name things are a little clunky, where we go with like episode and season, and then things get truncated when they get uploaded to the uh, syndication services, and if you you can't really see the full title that I spend you know, tens of minutes on, uh, coming up with that every week. And, and, uh, so that was an important thing for us to address. So we're, we've kind of been dicking around a little bit with how we name the episodes and how we number the episodes, but yes, uh, you are absolutely right. It is not my hundredth episode because I, I, uh, came on a little bit later, but you've been cranking this, uh, this fill your fandom machine. You've been driving this boat, uh, for, uh, for a hundred episodes as of right now. So yeah. that is a commendable milestone. I'm pretty pleased about it, actually, and, and I'm kind of surprised it's gone on as long as it has. Uh, oftentimes, I'll rage quit things that I don't feel are going uh, as well as I would hoped, and uh, obviously, we're not reaching as broad an audience as I would have liked to have accomplished at this point in the game, but uh, we do have a, a core stable of, of, of really reliable listeners and, and fans Who of the show. we incredibly appreciate. Abso-smurfin-lutely. And so... I mean, it, it's it's a laudable commitment. It's a laudable goal, and, and I'm really super excited about uh, being able to celebrate 100 episodes of this podcast, both with you, Jim, and with uh, you out there listening. It's and we've got really some exciting neat. stuff coming up. We've got some stuff in the works that's pretty cool. Um, we've got some really cool guests coming up. We've got some pretty neat topics we've been kicking around. So uh, if you've made it this far with us, we really appreciate it. If you haven't been listening long, we, we no matter what on-ramp you chose to jump onto this little podcast we love to do so much, we uh, we very much appreciate that you put us into your ear holes, and we hope it's worth your while. And uh, we've, we've definitely got some things coming up that you're going to want to check out. So we're glad you came this far with us. We hope you stick around with us for a while, because we're excited about what we have in the pipe. And, Absolutely. And we can't really talk about too much of it yet because a lot of it's still kind of in the works negotiation stage but um yeah should be coming up pretty soon that we'll have some pretty interesting shit to talk about and some pretty interesting folks to talk to about it absolutely so i know that y'all can't see me but i did get dressed up for the occasion i got the tie on i got the suit on and i can't even say that with a straight face i'm wearing my iron man pajamas so i got super dressed up for the occasion 
It's great. Now, see, I don't like lying to the people, but I, I was going to roll with whatever you said you were wearing because, you know, he says he's wearing his Iron Man suit, uh, but he's actually wearing like a wife beater and some some baggy uh, baggy boxer shorts. And I just please don't do that standing <laughs> up thing again because, nope. See, Take he a felt, look. you're going to fuck look. with him. I'm going to fuck with him. He's not kidding. He's got his Iron Man jammies on, so yeah, <laughs> we're good. It's an audio only medium though, so uh, you also can't tell that I'm wearing a bunny suit because it is Easter. Happy I mean, Easter, I'm full on, full on Ralphie in uh, in Christmas Story, with the bunny suit. It's a little warm, glad, but I do it I'm, for you. I'm glad you mentioned it. I wasn't gonna. Well, I mean, it is Easter Sunday as we as we record this. I almost said as we tape this, which again is just an incredibly like aging statement. <laughs> Dated. Like there's an actual <laughs> a, like a reel to reel of of digital magnetic graphite in the fucking computer in front of me. There is not. We don't I still tape say, like, anything filmed anymore. It. It's like, oh, we got to film this weekend. It's like we're not filming shit. Like hanging this up is... the phone and rolling down the window. There's no film. There's no crank handle on your. It's just, you know, there's certain things embed themselves into your speech patterns from a very early age, and they're just going to be there forever, whether you want them to be or not. I'll tell you what. I do miss the ability to fucking hang up a phone with authority. Because you can't oh, yeah. do that anymore. Like just, there's nothing more satisfying than just slamming that receiver down and just being done with it. Hey, listen, pal, fuck you. You could just like slam that thing down, and if you did it hard enough, the bell would ring across the house. Now it's like, oh yeah, well, fuck you on the horse you're riding on. Beep. It's not the same thing, you know. It just and, it doesn't have the same punch to it. If you do slam your phone down, you run the risk of damaging it, gorilla glass or not. So. Yeah. And in the old days, again, like when we had the the dial and the rotary phones, which I actually remember, I had one of those phones, is how old I am. If you picked one of those things up and swung it at a man's temple, you could kill him with it. Those things weighed like a thousand pounds. So there's just, yeah, there's, as, as cool as smartphones are, and as much as phone is just an app on my phone that I probably use the least of all the apps on my phone, right. it's still, if you you know if you know want to hang up on somebody, it, just, it doesn't have the same, the same punch to just go beep. And you're done. I got put on some kind of mailing list, and I've been getting a lot of wrong number phone calls and text messages this week for some lady named Patricia. And uh, I've had to pick up the phone because these people keep calling. They're fucking relentless. And because they're not auto-dialed type calls, they don't automatically get screened by the spam caller uh, screener that uh, T-Mobile uses. And so... I, I literally picked up the phone. I think it was like some credit assistance place, Lexington Law or whatever. Not sponsored. Please leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kept calling, and I finally I picked up, and I'm like, I don't even use my phone for this! And hung up again. And uh, that's how I am. I don't like to talk on the phone. I'm not much of a talker. I'll talk when I'm driving because I can't text, but I shouldn't text. Well, I've been I think it's really funny that we... We've come full circle. I mean, you know, Alexander Graham Bell entered the phone, invented the phone because we were tired of sending letters to each other. And so we spent a lot of years on the phone. And now that we have a phone that can send tiny letters again, we're back to text messages and just don't call me. Yeah, the best time to call me is, is text message. That's, you know, I, I don't know what it is about our generation and younger that has developed this phone phobia. But I, 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 I'll talk on the phone. It's not one of those things that gives me massive anxiety. It just really isn't my preference. I don't right. like to do it if it can be avoided. Uh, but at the same time, I'll do it. But I definitely have some friends who are a generation younger than me and then on down who just, I mean, they won't get on the phone for anything. Uh, and I don't blame them. I really don't. I can see how that could be a, a nerve-wracking process. It's not my favorite thing, but I don't mind it. But the phone anxiety is real. And, and 
for a generation raised on texting and instant messaging and and sending tweets and Facebook messages back to each other and Instagram stuff, it's the fact that we become phone phobic is uh, entertaining but understandable. But we just I just I think it's funny that we went from writing letters to talking on the phone and then we came full back around in full circle into writing letters. And if you want to take it a step further, emojis Telegrams. and hieroglyphics. Emojis and hieroglyphics. So we, we've really, in terms of, of how we communicate with each other, we're back in ancient Egypt at this point. I Absolutely. could send you a message full of nothing but emojis, and you would know exactly what the fuck I was talking about. Maybe. I mean, my kid does it. Only half the time do I know what the hell he's talking about. So, I, I like, I've come into that phase of being a dad on the uh, on the side here, because we don't ever van verge off on our topics or tangent out. But hell no. I got into a place where I like, you know, those uh, typical stereotypical dad things where you like overuse slang incorrectly just to piss them off. <laughs> 23 started... to do, daddy-o. How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> <laughs> I started doing that and because, and, uh, you know, just listening to him talk to his friends on the phone or reading some of his texts that he shows me, it's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But I'll use like lit and fam and, and, and <laughs> shit like that just incorrectly as fuck. And he'll show me uh, like uh, TikTok videos where they're using that slang. And I'm like, oh, is that how you say it? Is that the cool thing to say now? And start abusing it. And just the, the palpable eye rolls just make me so fucking happy. I can't is that how it. the kids talk? Well, well, yeet, bruh. That's on fleek. <laughs> I use, I actually do use yeet a lot. I actually really like that one. But uh, speaking of, and now we're going to start dovetailing into our conversations and the news topic things. Hot off the news presses right now as of a day ago. Uh, we talked last week about uh, Elon Musk purchasing a 9% stake in Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, which was problematic because then they wanted him to join the board. He doesn't want to join the board. Whatever. Because if he joined the board, he wouldn't be able to buy any more than 14.9% of it because the poison pill proclivity thing, the clause they put into that contract says you can't own 15% of the company if you're on the board, and it's a whole right. fucking rich person problem thing. But now, Elon has thrown the gauntlet down and said, you know what? I'll just fucking buy Twitter. How's 44 yeah. grand? Or how to throw, how's $44 billion sound to you? And he levied it and said... I will buy Twitter for $44 billion. And now everyone's scrambling to go, uh, 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 can he do that? Uh, uh, is this going to happen? Is is he just trying to get his way? It's like, I think he's trying to throw some weight around. I think he's trying to throw some muscle around. But it's interesting but what to gets see me what about doing. that. Yeah, what kills me is that the, the what people say about billionaires, whether you're talking about Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Warren Buffett or... or uh, Who's the Mark other Zuckerfuck. One? Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerfuck, whatever. They always say, well, they're billionaires on paper, but they don't really... It's not like they could come up with all this money. They don't have liquidity. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an estimated value of their holdings because they have investments, they have properties, they have companies. It's only cotton candy money. It looks huge from the outside, but if, the, if you squish it down and suck all the air out of it, in the middle, the only sweet little nugget is maybe a couple of hundred million dollars, and it's really not that much in the grand scheme of things. And Elon Musk, with one swell foop, just said bull fucking shit and proved them all wrong because that motherfucker didn't just offer Cash to buy on the Twitter with $44 billion. He offered to buy Twitter for $44 billion in cash. Cash. He actually has the ability to access $44 billion of liquidity 
and just buy one of the biggest multimedia social media platforms that the entire world has ever seen. And, and it's just, it's a Tuesday for him. He can just say, right. yeah, I'll write you a fucking check. I'll, I'll come up with cash for $44 billion. And it, it just really pokes holes in how they always say it's not really, we don't have access to that much money. It's all tied up in investments and properties. Bullshit. Bullshit. You definitely have that much money. And if there are people in this country who don't have adequate food, don't have adequate shelter, don't have adequate health care, and you can call me a socialist all you want. You can call me a wealth redistribution advocate all you want. You're probably right about that. But I just think, I've seen this meme floating around on Facebook a lot, that we shouldn't have any billionaires in this country ever. If you get to $999 million, congratulations, you fucking won. It's like a, a Legend of Zelda wallet that only holds so much money because it glitches out if it holds any more than that. You achieved the maximum amount. You are a dragon sitting on a pile of gold. You have next to a billion dollars. Anything above that, you forfeit for the common good. We name a dog park after you and hand you a trophy that says you won capitalism. I'm absolutely all for that. Because <laughs> when you're talking about and, yeah. somebody like Jeff Bezos who throws three and a half billion dollars at a support yacht for his main yacht and his people <laughs> that are actually making him all the money on the floor fulfilling the orders can't take an adequate lunch break, don't have health insurance and got to piss in empty Gatorade bottles that were full of Gatorade an hour ago, which is why they got to piss in them then we have a fucking problem in this country. We are in the throes of late-stage capitalism, and like any other bubble, it's going to burst eventually, because it has to. It is unsustainable, and Elon Musk offering to buy Twitter for $44 billion in cash on the barrel head that he can just yank out of his ass at a moment's notice. Um, whatever happened to the head of the, the World Food Bank saying, hey, uh, you could cure world hunger for like $15 billion, and Elon Musk said, hey, if you can draw up a detailed plan for how that would actually work feasibly, I will sell that much Tesla stock and I will cure world hunger. And they did, and they gave him an itemized several-step plan of how that money could be applied to essentially cure world hunger, but I don't see everybody eating. So for him to be able to just say, yeah, I'll buy Twitter... I'll play space tourists. I'm going to float the idea of being able to feed all the hungry people and then not fucking do it. I think all I'm saying is if we just like kidnap, publicly execute, and eat one billionaire on camera, the rest of them will just fall into line like that. I swear to God. Just one of them. Just pick one. Maybe Martin Shkreli. I don't know how much money he's got left. Nobody likes that fucking piece of shit. Uh, Jeff Bezos, pretty much everybody agrees he's not worth the skin he's made out of. He's a waste of goddamn harvestable organs. Just put a bag <laughs> on his head. Toss him to the back of a van. Drag him out someplace like Tony Stark in the first Iron Man movie. Rip the bag off his head and say, hey, look who we got here. This guy's going to bleed in about 10 minutes if we don't get him to sign over at least 90% of his fortune to house people, feed people, give people health insurance. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to kill him and eat him. And we're going to do it in front of everybody. Pay-per-view. Line up. Because if he doesn't sign the check, then whatever we raise from this is going to go towards getting veterans and homeless people health insurance. Who's in? I'm in. I mean, I don't get, as much as I don't like necessarily advocating violence, because I really, really don't feel like violence is always the answer. Sometimes it fucking is. Get them. Just get one. One. All we need to do is eat one billionaire, and the rest of them, I swear to God, will just jump on the boat and say, please, Mr. Socialist Wealth Redistributor, please take my fucking money and give people health insurance. $43 billion. Did we do this? Did we do this with the French Revolution? We did, you know? 
I, I just really, and I got, I actually, I, I went on a, a very short and short-lived, because I was able to successfully appeal the suspension, vacation on Facebook, I want to say two or three weeks ago, and when I dug through the logs of why they're objecting to me, um, this was back when they were handing out those $600 stimulus checks, and I put up a meme saying, hey, here's a good way to spend your $600 stimulus check, here's an itemized list, an invoice, of what it would cost to buy all the components <laughs> that you would need to build a, a guillotine. And uh, it's about, works out to be about $595. Yeah. And I got dinged for that that. even though it was a couple years ago. But yeah, I think, honest to God, it really is time to bring the guillotines back because these motherfuckers are let them eat caking all over the goddamn Twitter sphere, all over social media. Um, They're on, on... the financial shows on CNBC and on Market Watch, and they're crying about how, you know, because we have Democrats in power right now, and they're trying to do things like, you know, tax them more so we can give money to Ukraine and we can help people out with health insurance. Yeah, come on, just one. Pick one bill, the, the, the most detested one. Bill Gates is actually pretty all right. He's given a lot of his money away. Um, uh, Bezos' ex-wife, she's giving away billions and billions of dollars a year. But pick somebody like Jeff Bezos or like Elon Musk or like Zuckerberg, Mark, who's Mark pretty Zuckerberg's much widely acknowledged. He's a piece of shit. He's an absolute piece of shit. And yes, I know I'm part of the problem because I have Facebook and I order from Amazon. I know that. But those things are kind of like McDonald's and British Petroleum. If you exist as a carbon-based life form in the universe in this timeline, you cannot avoid those things. And so you kind of have to pick your battles on that a little bit. So yeah, I understand that I'm a hypocrite in that regard. I understand I'm part of the problem. But... Pick one of the ones everybody seems to agree are pieces of shit. I'm voting, you know, put, put them in brackets. Get this, like, a, like a final four. Let's get Bezos, let's get Zuckerberg, let's get Elon Musk, and as a uh, sort of a, a dark horse fourth, let's toss somebody in like um, one of the, the last surviving Koch brother. What, you know, that guy. Just throw him in there. And then let's put him in a room and um, let him battle it out, and whoever the winner is, whoever's the last asshole standing... And I don't know, my money's on Elon Musk, or maybe maybe Bezos, because Bezos has put some of his money into bodybuilding. If you've seen any pictures of that dildo-looking motherfucker, at least it's like a peeled <laughs> cucumber with his ears sticking out, that guy's actually been using some of his money to train. So he's got some upper body strength now. I, I think I'd probably either bet on Musk or Bezos, because those guys are in reasonably decent shape. I think uh, Coke would probably fall pretty easily, and I'm, uh, Zuckerberg looks like a wet cigarette, so he'd probably go down like a $10 hooker during shore leave. So just put them all in a room. Put them all in a room, toss some hand weapons in there, let those fuckers battle it out, and the last one who hasn't surrendered yet, they get to surrender 90% of their income because they'd still be billionaires. They'd still have more money than they could ever spend in a lifetime, but we would take everything they have so they can't play space tourists, they can't just, ah, I'm going to pull $50 billion on my ass to buy Twitter. We need health insurance. We need housing for homeless veterans and then homeless people in general. We just we need we need things in the world that we don't have. What we don't need is your ass going to space on a cock rocket and basically <laughs> fucking outer space as you rub your giant space dick in our face because you have billions of dollars and we don't. That is not what we need. We need I even food. Got a, I got, we need I got a na- I got a name for your contest. Your competition. Do it. I got it. I got a name for it. You ready? It's I, the I, end I world wait. hunger games. The end world hunger games. There you go, people. That gets a slow clap and not a sarcastic one. That's genuine. <laughs> but I'm about it. I mean, we need to have this happen. It's something society needs. Just one. Just one One so billionaire. Eat one billionaire and the rest will eat, fall in line. Execute and eat one billionaire. No, no jury would convict you. <laughs> 
All right, so totally not the topic of conversation. I just found it interesting that Elon's kind of trying to double down and buy Twitter, but uh, we'll see what comes of that. We'll see what comes of that. Uh, Jim, what have you found in the news lately that you thought was news noteworthy? Before we get to well, we've definitely got some uh, some MCU stuff popping up. Uh, this we do. Week. Um, obviously, uh, by the time you hear this, we'll be maybe a week or two away from the release of Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness, which oh, I can't wait. Um, based on the advanced press of this, I'm not saying it's going to outdo No Way Home in terms of box office, but the advanced buzz on this thing because of the multiverse concept and because of all the rumors that have been swirling around about it. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about the potentially leaked end credits still that revealed that anybody who's ever been in any MCU movie, including the sort of like pre-MCU, like the X-Men films or Blade or any of those ones that came way before the current MCU, uh, they're all fair game because it is a multiverse. And as we've proven uh, with No Way Home... We've got all three Spider-Men of the last 20 years all in one movie, so the, 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 the speculation is rampant about who could show up. Uh, we talked about because uh, Tom Cruise was almost cast as Iron Man before uh, Robert Downey Jr. got the role. He's an alternate universe Iron Man. Uh, we've, we've got the potential uh, backdoor introduction of the X-Men uh, coming into the, uh, the MCU finally. Uh, people have said that uh, Ryan Reynolds was seen on set, might be showing up as Deadpool in this movie. Um, And really, if you want to talk about introducing the multiverse, even before No Way Home, we had uh, Deadpool talking about, well, is this the James McAvoy or Patrick Stewart, Professor X we're going to see? What's going on there? Um, So this multiverse idea of bringing in all of the Marvel characters that are now finally owned by the one company since uh, Disney bought Fox and Marvel and struck up a distribution deal with Sony to be able to share Spider-Man, um, you know, Venom, Morbius, all these different sort of disparate threads of, of different corners of what's the larger MCU. Uh, anybody's fair game. It's the multiverse of madness. Uh, this could just be Benedict Cumberbatch uh, skipping around the multiverse, running into every possible reality that could have existed in the quantum thing. Any MCU character, past, present, future, could possibly be showing up. And the latest rumor to come out of that is that uh, Anson Mount could be showing up as Black Bolt in yes. Multiverse of Madness. God, I hope not. You know, I hope not, too. It'd be funny. I mean, it would really be funny because... Anyone who's humans, watched that Inhumans show is owed compensation. J.G. went I mean, needs to get in touch with you. It's your money. Use it when you need it. Yeah, call 1-800-JG-Wentworth-Money-Now, whatever the fucking number is. It should be burned into my brain by now, but I've kind of blocked it out. But yeah, uh, the rumor is that Anson Mount could be showing up as Black Bolt. Now, of course, we've... we've he was a member of, of the Illuminati back in the comics. He was. The, he the was. Marvel and because so. the, the Anson Mount version of Black Bolt is the only on-screen version we've got so far, and because obviously we did hear Patrick Stewart's voice in the Multiverse of Madness trailer... And because mm-hmm. there are rumors of people like Hugh Jackman and Tom Cruise even showing up, uh, that's the fun thing about, and we've talked about this idea before, when it comes to the MCU, um, so many rumors have panned out and other ones have proved just to be rumors. You don't really know until you see it, and the, Feige and the whole Marvel crew are geniuses about that because they don't necessarily quash rumors. And things like when, uh, during that press junket, when Mark Ruffalo and Don Cheadle and Mark Ruffalo said, uh, you know, half everybody dies in the next movie, and Don Cheadle was like, dude, and he looked at him like with his look on his face, <laughs> you thought it was a bit, and then it turned out to be true. 
You didn't know. Or when Mark Ruffalo <laughs> left his phone on during the first ten minutes of uh, the last Thor movie. That was pretty fucking crazy. So some things are rumors. Some things are true. You never really know what is going to actually show up on the screen until you buy your ticket and sit down and see it. But because that happens to be the case, and spoilers hit the internet as fast as people's asses hit seats and multiplexes, they count on you buying those tickets on opening weekend. And that's why Marvel movies do so well. Not just the shared universe, not just the richness of the characters or the, the A-list actors you get to play them or the incredible integration of the storytelling. Uh, people see those movies opening weekend because they know they have to. Because the rumors are mm-hmm. going to be either confirmed or denied as soon as people's eyeballs get up. And I watched No Way Home twice in the theater. I watched it the Thursday before it technically opened and then I watched it again on Friday. And, of course, it's already on streaming now. The moratorium for spoilers is definitely up. Yes. Um, so when, when Maguire and Garfield showed up, my theater just visibly cheered. And watching it again, and I've seen it once or twice since then, um, it's interesting how Marvel knew that was going to happen, how they kind of built in an actual pause in the dialogue to like allow they do people time sitcoms, to cheer. Yeah. yeah, where it's like almost like a laugh break where they have some applause and there's no dialogue for a minute. They knew. They knew exactly what they were doing. Um, right. And, of course, the rumors flew well before those guys ever showed up. But when they did show up, it was just like it was just like when that when you had that sneeze building behind your eyes for, like, you know, six or eight months, and then finally you get to sneeze, and it's like just release and relief. There they are. We finally get a confirmation that they're where they're supposed to be, and from here on out, things are going to be amazing. And that's why a big part of the reason why No Way Home is so fucking great, just bringing in those disparate threads of narrative and bringing in all those old characters from the different universes. And so the speculation is running wild about Multiverse of Madness, um, the other rumor that I just heard the other day yep, about ahead. this is that uh, we could see Iron Fist come back. Are we talking about Danny Rand? The uh, the uh, And not just Danny Rand's Iron Finn Fist, but Jones? Finn Jones. Finn Jones could be reappearing as, as uh, Iron Fist, but not in like a massive narrative capacity. The rumor is that he's going to be showing up in a future Marvel project. They're not saying it's necessarily Multiverse of Madness, uh, but because we got Vincent D'Onofrio and Hawkeye as Kingpin, because we got Charlie Cox showing up in No Way Home, uh, it's pretty clear that the MCU is starting to bring in these these disparate threads of different universes and bring them all together. Uh, there really is just one shared universe now. So Finn Jones could come back, but the rumor that is happening is, even though we don't know exactly where he's coming back, whether it's a movie or whether it's going to be a Disney Plus TV series, the rumor is he's only coming back in a cameo capacity because he will be effectively passing the torch on... I'm reading this article on ScreenGeek.net, and it says, According to our sources, Marvel does want Finn Jones to return as Iron Fist in some capacity, but his return would not be for long. In fact, they're considering only bringing him back in a glorified cameo as sort of a joke, and then replacing him in a torch-passing move with Jessica Henwick's Colleen Wing. They've been talking, and, they, and they've actually done it in the comics, and I haven't read in, in the comics how they did it, because I, I haven't been picking up a lot of comics lately. My time's been really spent elsewhere. But uh, they have since created a new Iron Fist character in the comics who is of uh, uh, Asian descent. So a bit less white guy saving the world as an Asian using, I mean, his appropriated powers kind of thing. Yeah. And making it more uh, socially conscious, which, you know, this is one of those things that I told you before. I see the, the laugh react on the articles and shit and it pisses me off. It's like you see yeah. something serious and something and uh, meant to do good and, and spread good messages, and you see the laugh react, and it just ugh, chaps my ass. But, yeah, they've already started in the comics trying to rectify certain inequities that have existed for, for decades upon decades 
uh, in, in an uh, era of cultural appropriation. And now that we know that that's not okay, they've been trying to fix that. And, they have. And, and to varying degrees of success, obviously. But, uh, yeah, so they've already kind of set precedent for that. So it's interesting. To, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Uh, I know the characters I want to see the most brought back in the MCU, if we're going to go with anyone from the Netflix shows, aside from the ones we've seen, I would love to see Mike Coulter. Is it Coulter? Mike Coulter? Mike Coulter. Come back, back as, Luke, as Cage. Luke Cage. Because he was he absolutely was stunning. Role. Stunning. Yeah. Sweet, he sweet was so Christmas great. he was good. Sweet Christmas. And then yeah, he really was. Kristen Ritter. I would love to see her come back as Jessica Jones. Because she was fantastic as well. And back um, when the whole Netflix thing was happening, I really was kind of hoping, because we actually had Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, there were rumors for a minute we were going to get a, get a Daughters of the Dragon series. Yeah, spinning off from cool. that. That would have been great. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but we, we have both those characters that have been introduced in a live-action setting in, in what's becoming the larger MCU now, so that's still a possibility, but uh, anything's a possibility. I mean, I just saw an article the other day on I don't some pop culture site where they were saying, here's 12 or 13 MCU characters that were just introduced and then forgotten about, and uh, they were like sort of uh, side characters that showed up in movies that are characters that have a precedence of being somewhat semi-important on the page in the actual Marvel Universe. And uh, they got introduced in the in the in either a TV series or or in an MCU film, and then they just kind of got forgotten about and dropped and haven't showed up since. And So there's a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of people they could bring back. And uh, I just remember reading... Um, okay, I just read this not long ago. It was on Game Rant. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home has a blink-and-you-miss-it cameo. The cameo is not the most recognizable character, but for a keen eye and a diehard fan, it's a very nice callback to damage control in the first film. Uh, okay. And the cameo is um, Gary Weeks, Agent Foster, who is partially responsible for creating the Vulture. He appeared in the opening scene of Spider-Man Homecoming, where Michael Keaton's Vulture was kicked off site by an organization called Damage Control. Agent Foster was the one to give Vulture the bad news, and from there, Agent Foster's organization was responsible for taking over the cleanup of the Battle of New York's aftermath. And we touched on that in our Mjolnir Fell on My Car episode last year. And mm -hmm. these events caused Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes to become the villain Vulture, but he actually showed up as one of the agents that accompanied um, the, the crew that went into Aunt May's apartment in the beginning of Spider-Man No Way Home, he was standing behind the main agent who knocked on the door, whose name is both a character and an actor escapes me, but uh, he was in both Homecoming and No Way Home as a damage control agent. And it was the same actor, uh, and as we all know, uh, you know, Marvel loves to toss in those little Easter eggs, so it's just shit like that. I mean, there are so many characters that that showed up in, in minor sort of supporting roles, sort of like side character, almost extra roles that they've managed to bring back. So at any point, anybody is fair game. And that's what makes this speculation so interesting when you're talking about something like Multiverse of Madness, because anybody, even people who haven't shown up so far, who've only been rumored, could show up at any time. One of the interesting thought processes that I've been going through lately is as we see all these different properties take off and take shape from movies to TV shows to spinoffs of TV shows to spinoffs of movies to we have all these streaming services that encapsulate you know, different companies of course HBO going with DC uh, Paramount Plus having their thing with Star Trek uh, yeah. Disney Plus with the Marvel Universe and also with the Star Wars Universe at large uh, we come across this issue where it's like any idea anyone's ever had is now a spinoff they've already yeah. got something in the works 
And so what I've come across the other day was an article talking about uh, disharmony on the set of the She-Hulk spinoff series. Uh -oh. uh, that's coming out here sh not as shortly as it was going to. They've, they've delayed that. Uh, and there's talk that uh, it just didn't meet the quality threshold uh, for uh, Disney. Uh, uh -oh. So, I, I mean, I, I have hopes for it to come out okay because I think they've cast it well. Uh, they're going to, the tongue-in-cheek humor version of the MCU kind of seems like it would fit. Uh, something that would work out pretty well. Um, so I'm hoping that those rumors are all squashed real, really soon. But that kind of begs the question, uh, with all of these different avenues of, of TV shows and movies and spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs, is like, how do you keep the quality so friggin' high? How do you keep demand... I mean, we've already seen flash or lashing out from uh, directors who are like, "Oh my God, this stuff's trash," and and uh, there's just too much of it, and it's all that's left in the theaters anymore, and it's all anyone cares about. And I kind of, I don't want to say I can see their point because I think they're just being elitist and hateful. But uh, at a certain point, you kind of got to realize that yeah, there's gonna be there we're gonna reach a point of peak saturation, I think. Yeah. And and I I kind of wonder when that's gonna be. But uh, it is really the, hard to know. Speaking of peak peak saturation, and I know we've been rambling on about all of this stuff, and we're since we're talking about the MCU, I thought this might be a good uh, opportunity to kind of bring up a soft topic. We just kind of had this in the back pocket for for what we wanted to talk about today. Is uh, the MCU is without a doubt poised on the precipice of bringing us the mutants, the X Men, uh, into. Mm -hmm the MCU as a whole. And with that comes a whole lot of other side characters, Deadpool and, and the like. But the big question on everyone's mind is not how they're going to do it, because, I mean, that's a question that we know is going to be answered hopefully pretty soon with Multiverse of Madness. Now that the latest trailer, and this isn't spoiling anything, the latest trailer unequivocally shows Patrick Stewart rolling in his wheelchair. They don't yep. show Patrick Stewart, but they show that X logo on the side of a wheelchair. It's and you undoubtedly hear his who it voice. is. It is who it is. So my question at large, and, and I of course want you guys to weigh in on this as well. If you're listening to this, your opinion matters to us. This isn't a single conversation. This is something we want to talk about with you about. So always hit us up. Facebook.com forward slash feel your fandom. Feel your fandom at gmail.com. FYF talentbooking at gmail.com where you can find us on Instagram at Fuel Your Fandom or on Twitter yep. at, at Fuel underscore your. So we want to hear from you about what you think about this stuff because we obviously have our opinions. We're just a couple of jackasses who sit in front of microphones and gab on for an hour. Uh, so if you have anything you want to let us know, please let us know. Oh, shizzle. Because the question that I have and, and the thing I've been mulling over and pondering uh, is not who should play these act, these characters, not whether it should be. You know, James McAvoy or Patrick Stewart or... McAvoy or Stewart. These timelines are so confusing. Which version of whoever should be in the MCU? That's a secondary conversation. The question that I want to pose to you, Jim, and, and to you, our audience at large, is which version of the X-Men should we see? Which mutants, not actors, which mutants should we see? Now... Because we, a lot of people would say, oh, well, if we're going to be doing it for the first time, you better bring in Xavier's first five students, which, of course, would be uh, Cyclops, Iceman, Jean Grey, Beast, and Angel. Yes. Which is a solid roster. 
I think that's a solid roster. I think they've got enough character development between them to handle that shit for years. But uh, that glosses over a lot of the very popular mutants. So your Wolverines, your Gambits, your, your Storms, Storms, your Nightcrawlers, Rogue. I mean, all of these characters who have not only been through the, the original X-Men movies, you've got hundreds and thousands of other characters you can bring in from the entire uh, Marvel Comics at large. Um what's going to make people the happiest? What's going to make the most impact for their dramatic entrance? Is it going to be something like the Core 5? Or is it going to have to be some kind of amalgamation? Or are we going to have to go into the giant size X-Men number one of it all and bring in that mixed bag of mutants that we got uh, when, the, when X-Men was revived in the 70s? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, well, I think, think Marvel... Marvel's been real smart. Marvel knows what side their bread is buttered on, and that's why they are the largest, undoubtedly, inarguably the largest studio in Hollywood right now, because their movies just make the most money. If you look back at the last year, uh, mm-hmm. the biggest money makers were No Way Home, uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and even to a certain degree Black Widow, even though they kind of fucked ScarJo over on her royalties for that. But Marvel movies are inarguably the biggest movies that hit the Cineplex ever. Um Superhero movies in general, Marvel, Marvel movies in particular, because I mean, we, we you know, the, one of the bigger money makers also in the last couple of months has been the Batman, which is actually headed to streaming streaming tomorrow as we record this. But for the most part, I mean, if it's a Marvel movie that hits the cineplexes, it's gonna be the biggest money maker that month, that release period, whatever, what have you. So Marvel understands what their audiences want. They're pretty good about that, and I think Marvel understands that if you are like trying to serve two different audiences. Um, if you're trying to serve the comic book audience versus the movie audience, they found ways to do that that makes sense. And I think by erring on the side of, well, the movie audience tends to be more fickle because they want to see what they want to see that's exciting, that's more popular, that's going to be on the big screen, whatever. The comic book audience, for for the most part, in large part, is just thrilled to see whatever comic book heroes we can drag up from the depths that they've read about for years and put them on the screen. So the comic book audience tends to be more forgiving. So while they've done really well referencing source material, they do kind of tend to err on the side of serving both audiences by understanding that the the comic book audience is going to come along no matter what, and the cinema audience is a little bit more choosy. So I think they're probably, if I were to venture a guess, when they finally do introduce the mutants into the actual MCU at large, they're probably not going to go so comic book source material hardcore as to go with the original five. I think they'll do a mix. I think there are certain characters, like you said, that have come along both on the page and the screen that have been sort of more popular than the originals. Um, So I think they'll probably have to figure out a way to do Mystique. They'll have to figure out a way to do Magneto. They'll have to figure out a way to do Wolverine and, and Rogue and Storm and characters beyond the original five that have proven to be big audience favorites on the big screen since all that happened where they kind of fucked up a little bit where they kind of have a real obstacle to overcome is that the films that were made with the 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 original x-men films that were made with the the brian um, singer movies yeah the brian singer movies where you've got patrick stewart in the role of charles xavier where you've got ian mckellen in the role of of magneto um, and, and where you've got uh, Hugh Jackman and, and all these and Halle Berry and all these other actors who are phenomenal actors, but those movies were twenty some odd years ago, 
And they've all more or less sort of aged out of the roles, not just because comic book characters don't really age, they've been the same age forever, but because you've got characters like Wolverine that have been proven not to age because that old healing factor thing, but Hugh Jackman is in his 50s now, and he's just not going to be doing that, like, ripped to the nostrils workout thing anymore. And even if he was, they'd have to use the de-aging stuff on him, which is expensive. Where they fucked up is that they cast the adult actors in the original movies, and they did the flashback, like, Days of Future Past stuff with younger actors because they were set in the past. So you can't really go the other way where if you have like the choice of like using Rebecca Romaine or Jennifer Lawrence in the role of Mystique or whether you have James McAvoy or Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier the newer movies feature the younger characters and the older movies feature the older characters which is a really backwards ass way to do it you'd have to come up with a way and again not to say not to descend into who should they cast for this because that's an entirely separate podcast it could be hours oh, yeah. long um but the actual characters, I think Marvel knows what they're doing, and they know what the audiences want, and they've proven that time and time again. So in terms of the characters, they're going to have to come up with a way to bring the most familiar characters that are familiar to both cinema and page audiences onto the screen in a way that makes sense. I have every confidence they'll do it, but I think we're talking about people like Wolverine. I think we're talking about people like Storm. We're talking about Rogue. We're talking about maybe even Jean Grey. Um, the most popular characters that have proven to be popular on both page and screen. Because you can drag a character off the page and put them on the screen and make them popular, but it's kind of hard to go the other way. It's, it's tough to introduce brand new characters that people don't necessarily know about if they're casual movie-going fans and kind of drag up those, those characters that haven't really had the, the screen history and immediately expect, expect and, and accept that they'll be accepted by the audience. So it's going to be know, a tough road to hoe, that... but... That's a really good point, actually, is the fact that it's going to have to be characters that people are familiar with. And, and yeah. whether that's your Jean Greys or Cyclopses or whatnot, I think there's enough passing familiarity with both of those types of characters. And, in fact, the original five, uh, if, you, if you count the angel that we got and uh, that god-awful apocalypse movie, um, mm. I think there's enough between them and the original team on the Brian Singer movies, your Rogue and your ex your Wolverine, your Storm, your uh, Colossus yeah, even. Beast. you got Colossus mm -hmm. from uh, the Deadpool movies would be a lovely addition. Yeah. Um, Evan Peters, Quicksilver, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got quite a lot of options as far as the mutants to bring in. Uh, I think they kind of, where they sold themselves so short is they definitely wanted to have that shock and name value of putting Patrick Stewart in as Charles Xavier. But I think if we're going to get an Xavier, it's going to have to be someone younger. Because, like you said, he's kind of aged out of the role. So maybe this version of Xavier is part of this uh, so-called Illuminati, uh, if you will, as he was in the comics. Perhaps he's that. And the mutants that we're actually going to see in the main MCU universe are going to be the younger, uh, more vibrant versions of these characters. Or, you know, I mean, it could go a lot of different ways. But like you said, yeah. I, I think uh, Kevin Feige's developed a certain level of trust with me. I, I kind mm -hmm. of understand where he's going. I kind of get the moves that he's made and why he's made them. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it all just... Uh, I would love to see, like, Wolverine on the screen. I would love for them to have a decent take at Gambit. The, the one shot that they had at Gambit with Taylor's, uh, Taylor Kitsch uh, wasn't yeah. great. I mean, no. he was okay. Uh, and I know that they were kicking around a Gambit movie for a lot of years with... Uh, uh, what's his name? Magic Mike. What the fuck is his name? Magic Mike. Channing Tatum. 
Channing yeah. Tatum, yeah. They were and he's, he's actually Gambit still kind of yeah. salty about not getting to do that. I just saw an uh, interview yeah. with him where he was doing, <laughs> he, was, he was on a press junket with, uh, with with Sandra Bullock talking about the Lost City movie that just came out a bit ago, and he's still a little bit like, he's, he's, he's like, well, you know, that was a thing that was going to happen, and it didn't, and well, it's kind of a sore spot, but we'll just move on. Fuck uh, those he really guys. wanted to do that. But yeah, I think where, where Marvel kind of fucked up a little bit was casting the younger characters in the older timeline, the older characters in the newer timeline, but I think they kick their ass with that, but they're going to cover their ass with the magic uh, applied uh, sort of, oh, what the what the fuck is the, the, the trope is called? Um, when they mush the mercabushes uh, together? Whether it's like the, the unobtainium or quantum flux, the sort of like magic juice they can rub on everything is just the multiverse. They kicked their ass in some ways, but they're covering their ass with the multiverse. So now, whatever they do, um, they can just say, well, it's multiverse stuff. And I think the way they're going to do this is they're going to have the Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange film, where they introduce the concept of anything goes, anything can happen, whether Tom Cruise shows up as Iron Man, whether we get a Hugh Jackman cameo, whether fucking Ryan Reynolds shows up, we're going to have at least a couple of X-Men because we know Patrick Stewart is in it. I think what they're going to introduce with this movie is, and this has been reflected in the trailers with how chaotic it is, hey man, anything we choose to do, any disparate narrative thread we choose to pull in from whatever universe we've established or even whispered about in the past... It's all game just multiverse on. shit. So, yeah. you know, game on, man. You're, you're fine. So they, they can sort of explain that away by like rubbing the magic sauce of multiverse on whatever they choose to do. And they know that the audience is going to accept that because they were so rabid for No Way Home. It's such a masterstroke of storytelling and such a great corporate decision. We're going to introduce the multiverse that other characters can come in from other universes and other timelines with all three Spider-Men. And then we're really going to kick it up a notch with anything goes, anybody could show up at any time, multiverse of madness. So going forward from those two films, the soft intro of the multiverse with the three Spider-Men, and then this crazy Doctor Strange film where he's going to be tripping across several timelines, from that point forward, they could probably do whatever the fuck they want because they've eased the audience into the narrative concept and from there at that point moving forward it, it really is going to be a lot easier for other people to to swallow things i remember reading a long time ago when they were talking about the first spider-man film and i'm talking like the first sam raimi spider-man film the first okay. toby Maguire and willem dafoe spider-man film um there was some critic who said you know they're kind of blowing up the rules of the narrative storytelling book because the audience has been conditioned for many, many years to only accept one stroke of magic per film. Um, and ordinarily that would be, you know, Peter Parker getting bitten by the radioactive slash genetically modified spider and becoming Spider-Man. But because we needed to have two strokes of magic, i.e., um, you know, Norman Osborn in the chamber where he gets, you know, the green smoke and turns into the Green Goblin... We had to have that narrative thing happen, so the audience had to be ushered into the idea of you're going to be forced to accept two concurrent pieces of magic in the film. And ordinarily that wouldn't have worked, but because it was handled so well and because it was treated so delicately and because it drew so heavily off the source material, people accepted it. And so from that point on, Marvel has been continually pushing the envelope um, with just different levels of, of asking us to, to swallow things and to, to further suspend our disbelief so that we can believe anything is possible. It's feasible, it's plausible, it's possible, and they're really going to, I think, bring that to its natural conclusion, or not conclusion, but at least the next step in the evolution, the, the, the sort of apex of, of branching possibilities. And if you really want to argue about it, they, they've even gone as far back as like the Loki series, where... 
obviously Spider-Man brought the multiverse into the real world, but Loki brought it in in a very theoretical way by saying, you know, the timeline is falling apart. They're the so that, fucking yeah. smart with their storytelling. You know, if, if you, as anybody that, that's an MCU fan, it's like the schoolyard pusher thing. You know, the first one's free, and then from there you're ours forever, and you kind of have to watch everything. So you got to subscribe to Disney Plus and watch all the shows. You have to go and see all the movies when they open in that weekend. Because, it's, it's, again, it goes back to that comic book business model, like we talked about months ago with the original Civil War run in print. If you wanted to get the entire story, it was like 70 or 80 different individual books across 12 or 13 yep. different titles. And you had to buy them all. So they have brought that storytelling narrative structure into the movies and the TV series, and it works just as well, if not better. It's a, a business model they tested out in print. It converts very well to the screen. And so the by gently introducing the audience to the concept of the multiverse, the anything goes, anything can happen, we had a fucking Thanos copter and frog Thor in Loki. <laughs> so for those of us who are paying attention, and for those of us who have actually got some working familiarity with the books and the source material, the, the anything goes, anything can happen at any time, and it's just multiversal magic. Uh, that concept has been more than introduced by now, and I think it's really going to reach a fever pitch in this next film, and I for one can't fucking wait to see it because... If they if they do it as well as they did the last couple times they kicked out that concept, it's going to be an absolute spectacle. I, I absolutely think that they're going to. I mean, if there's one thing Feige and company have down pat, it is wetting our whistles and then blowing our expectations out of the water. Which it's is right there in what the title. I think, Multiverse of Madness. It's going to drive us all mad. But I think that's why they haven't released a trailer for Thor yet. And, and that's kind of become a sore subject right now is... This slow play on the release of the Thor: Love and Thunder trailer is, is mm -hmm. it's it's driving fans crazy right now, and and it's like it doesn't matter how much they piss somebody off, it's gonna get seen, it's gonna make bank, it's gonna they could do whatever yeah. they, they don't even have to release a trailer at this point. No, they, they didn't get a Spider-Man trailer get... until three weeks before that movie yeah. dropped, and it still made a billion dollars. Exactly, so they could do whatever they want. They're gonna make their money regardless. So. Uh, well, let us know what you think. Which mutants do you think should pop into the MCU? Uh, I definitely have my pick. I think we've seen enough through Deadpool uh, with Cable. And, of course, through Cable, we know that Cyclops and Gene exist. And we have, uh, uh, through the cameo, we see all the first-class mutants in there. And I mean, yep. we've got a lot of options available to us. Or is it going to be something new that we've not heard of? Or is it going to be some spectacular mix of between? Who would you like to see pop up from the Mary Marvel mutants into the new MCU films. Let us know. Keep us posted on your thoughts. Hit us up again, facebook.com forward slash view your fandom. We definitely want to know where your head is at with this as we as we blow out the curtains and go into multiverse of madness season. I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm super stoked. Me too, man. I can't wait for it either. Personally, I'm actually kind of pulling for a, um, a Moon Knight versus Apocalypse, where Oscar Isaac plays both roles. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Oscar Isaac is pretty badass. If you're not watching Moon Knight, you should. He I'm plays... not watching it because I'm waiting for them all to drop, man, but I'm going to check yeah. it out as soon as they're all in, like I did with Hawkeye. We're about halfway done right now, so it's, it's pretty good. But uh, from us to you, I want to thank you for not only listening to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast, but if you're here from the beginning, again, like Jim said, thank you so much. We appreciate your your, your patronage. Uh, if Even if you're not here from the beginning, whatever on-road you've come into, we definitely appreciate 
uh, being a part of your life, being a part of your day. We definitely enjoy doing this. It's something we obviously get quite a lot of fulfillment out of. Uh, and we've reached the triple digits now. Because uh, we did, like I said, the 11 episode first season, which was kind of truncated because it was still testing the waters. Season 2 was 40 episodes. Season 3 was 40 episodes. So that equals a, no, 91. I can't do math. And then 91 plus this ninth episode of the fourth season equals 100. <laughs> so... We want to thank you for Woo-hoo! sticking around with us and just being a part of our day as we're a part of yours. So from both of us to you, we want to thank you. And please always do take with you because it is absolutely true. Everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care, you guys. All poo-poo times are pee-pee times, but not all pee-pee times are poo-poo times. Here's to a hundred more.